Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a podcast for fans of Arkham Horror, the card game. We're sometimes fortnightly, we're sometimes monthly. I'm your host, Frank, and today I'm joined by... It's me, Peter. Hello, Frank. Hi, Peter. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Much better than four or five minutes ago when we first started to record. <laughs> yes, <laughs> wasn't indeed. Even I was, that. I was, <laughs> sometimes I have a strong sense of deja vu when I record the <laughs> intro, but today uh, I think it was genuine. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we're having some technical issues there as we started, listener, that you won't hear on the episode. Oh, it's it's uh, it's exciting stuff though because we've both got new new um, IT kit, so. Yes, we do. It's, we do. it's exciting. Uh, no, I, I'm doing good. Um, we're finally starting to get into spring, right? We are. Yeah, it's lovely sunshine outside. I can see the trees have got beautiful green leaves. Switched switch down a jacket. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Uh, which no is, longer which in the good. trench coat. That's right, in yeah. the leather jacket instead. Yeah, yeah. no, leather coat. And I'll move on to the leather jacket in a few weeks, I think. Okay, well, good. The hierarchy is in order. <laughs> so what are we talking about today? Uh, well... Good question, Frank. Thank you. I think what what we wanted to do was very quickly, because we're aware the announcement of a new cycle is maybe galloping upon us quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We wanted yeah. to do some speculation as to remaining investigators, remaining cycles, maybe a little bit. Mm-hmm. See what factions we think, who we've got left, who's going to be in the next cycle, uh, and just have a, a good old chew over um, some wild speculation. Great. I love me some wild speculation. How does that sound? Are you excited by that? Yeah, I am. I am. And I, I sometimes feel like this whole part of being an Arkham fan, of thinking about what's to come and, and hypothesizing, there is something that's slightly adjacent to the work that investigators do in the game, right? You know, poring over notes and lists, trying to introduce order to the chaos. That's, yeah. Piece, to, piece together clues as well, isn't it? Because we, we do get Exactly, clues. exactly. Yeah, we do. We do. I think the other reason why I'm kind of keen to do an episode like this now is that we're actually running towards the end of the list of investigators who've come out in other Arkham Files games. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, I was a bit wary of doing something like this when we only had, say, 10 investigators released, because that's then a huge number to look at. But now we're down to the... um, I don't know. I don't want to call it the bottom of the barrel, <laughs> the dregs. <laughs> We're down to the last few, the favoured few. So yeah, how do we even go about this? Uh, well, g- good question. I mean, first things, I would like to ask uh, Maxine how she's, uh, well, I'm, or the team as a whole, I guess, how they've, whether they've split the the whole list of investigators up before they start, so that mm. they're they're not left with a load of like survivor archetypes right at the end of the process yeah yeah so yeah i'd I'd be interested to know if they already have a good idea of what faction everyone is some of them Mm. do like jump out to be particular factions right Mm, yeah yeah and then also you think about something like forgotten age where they put ursula and leo in that pack because they're both definitely sort of outdoorsy investigators yeah and Father Mateo, because he's a Mexican, right? Yeah. Spanish? Mexican? I think Mexican. I could be wrong. So there's, there's sometimes there's just a thematic connection to the source material, which means an investigator gets included in that box. And I wonder then, exactly as you were wondering, it's a case of chicken and egg, isn't it? Which comes first? Do you decide that Leo is the guardian because we need a guardian for this box? And he could have been a rogue, but let's go with Guardian, or was he already a Guardian? And then you think, okay, yeah, we'll fit that in. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so how do you want to do this, Frank? Do you want, should, we, should we list all of the investigators that we've got from other games, which we haven't yet seen in Arkham Horror? Mm-hmm. Yes, let's do it. And uh, do, you want to, do you want to read that list, or shall I read it? I'll, I'll read it. That's, cool. I, I can read uh, that. Do you want to yeah. give us their, because they all have a job title, don't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, or a, or yeah, a I will. One word description. So, from the list of investigators who've been released in other games, we have fourteen remaining. They are Agatha Crane, the parapsychologist; Bob Jenkins, the salesman; Carson Sinclair, the butler; Charlie Kane, the politician; Daniela Reyes, the mechanic; Daryl Simmons, the photographer; George Barnaby, the lawyer; Hank Sampson the farmhand, Kate Winthrop, scientist, Lily Chen, martial artist, 
Michael McGlenn, Gangster, Monterey Jack, Archaeologist, Vincent Lee, Doctor, and Wilson Richards, Handyman. That was lovely. Very well read. Thank you very much. I would add to that that we also have Norman Withers, Astronomer, and Gloria Goldberg, Writer, who've been released in their novella forms, but we haven't actually seen their regular form yet. Right. So you could say that there are 16 investigators left to actually get a full release. Yeah. And in fact, we, we, we well, we can be very sure that Norman and Gloria are going to show up and what faction they're going to show up as when they appear. Yeah, exactly. That fills in some gaps. So yeah, somewhere between 14 or 16. And an astute listener will work out that given that most cycles release five investigators, 14 and 16 both don't neatly divide by five. So that raises interesting questions about would there be another box with six investigators, which we've seen before, or are we due to see more investigators? There's all sorts of things that we can start to speculate about. Well, quite, yeah. And and what's going to happen when they run out? Mm-hmm. Uh, which naturally is, that's what, three cycles time? Yeah, give or take. Well, will they, just, will they end? Will they say we've done all the investigators and that's, that's it? They have been ramping up the number of new investigators they add, right? And in fact, yeah. from that list, I know at least Daniela Reyes is new. Yes, she wasn't in all of the games. I don't think she's in Eldritch Horror but is in Arkham Third. Yes, that's right. Yeah. This is where my knowledge gets a bit woolly because I've played lots of Eldritch, some Arkham Third, not too much Arkham Second. <laughs> but yeah, it well, gets Arkham gets Second messy. is, well, aside from Arkham Horror, the card game, the living card game, uh, Arkham Horror Second Edition is what is the version I've played the most of. And really, I didn't spend too long reading the backgrounds then. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. So... You mentioned they can make new investigators. And so we've seen Stefano Russo in this game. Mm-hmm. And then also Stella Clark, Nathaniel Cho, and Winifred Haberbock. So they have added four new investigators to the canon. Yes. Three of whom came out last year. You know, the tail end of of or the most recent set of releases, really. Yeah. So that's the other thing that's a possibility here. That that 14 to 16 investigators we still have to come they augment that list and take it up to, say, uh, add another four, go up to 20 investigators, and then that's a neat four cycles worth of investigators. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I I almost view Calvin as a new investigator as well, to be honest. Hmm. Yeah, he was released as a challenge character for Arkham 2nd Edition, is that right? That's right, without without any background, I believe. Was he called... I think it was called The Damned originally, but that's what is has it has his subtitle changed? I, I'm pretty shaky on this, to be mm. honest. So please don't take what I'm saying okay. as, as absolute gospel. <laughs> yeah, I I, th- I think he was, like I say, he was released as a pure challenge character, but then mm. they fleshed out his background and changed his appearance when he was released as a proper character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not like up until Arkham Horror the card game, the living card game, they never had added new investigators. And now suddenly in the game, Maxine and the development team are giving this like massive amount of pressure to come up with new investigators. They have slowly dipped their toe with that. Yeah. So, so yeah, there's a possibility there. The other thing that jumps out to me about this list is I think 10 of the 14 are men. Yes. And that... I haven't gone back and checked the balance at the moment. It's, I think, fairly even gender split in the investigators we have. But we run into a slight problem coming up with these last ones insofar as we run into a lot of male characters. I think a lot of white characters as well. Although, again, I'm not uh, 100% sure on every character. So one of the things that's been so good about Arkham is gently moving away from that expectation that the only characters you play as is white men. That would be another incentive, I think, for creating new characters to just shake that up and not not get the kind of the white male box. Yeah. You know, imagine if you, we got a, a deluxe that had Bob Jenkins, <laughs> Carson Sinclair, Charlie Kane, Daryl Simmons and George Barnaby. It's like the white guy's box. <laughs> it could, could be fun. It's not necessarily a problem with that, but diversity is one of the things that you and I quite like about the game. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
now we've got this list of 14 then, do we want to just mm. pick out some ones we think are maybe one faction or, or another, or jumping out at us as one faction or another? Yeah, please. Why don't you take it away, because I think you have some ideas. Wow, that's putting me on the spot, Frank. <laughs> well, <laughs> we both said the harder, harder one to pin down is probably Mystic. So let's not do that. <laughs> let's... You know what? I sort of thought Seeker and uh, Survivor felt like the easier ones to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and Survivor, I think Wilson Richards, the handyman, jumped out as Survivor. Yeah. As yeah. did... Well, it, it, is Daniela a, a Survivor in the... She's in third edition, right? Mm-hmm. Is, she, is she listed as a Survivor role in third edition? I think she's listed as Guardian. Oh, maybe you're right. Role, I think, because she likes fixing and protecting, but I could, I could be wrong. The roles in Arkham 3rd, if you've not played it before, listener, are they're kind of guidance as to how the character plays. They don't have a mechanical impact, as far as I recall. But, they, you know, if, if you're making a party and all of your characters are Guardian characters, you might have trouble finding clues and researching. I think they all have two suggestions. They say, like, you can play as a guardian, you can play as a rogue, or whatever it is. They'd be more like guidelines anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, well, w- Wilson Richards jumped out to me as a survivor. And I think Hank Samson, Hank Samson the, farm the farmhand, hand. Yeah, also jumped out as a survivor. And I could also be persuaded that maybe Carson Sinclair would fit survivor. But I think there's mm-hmm. probably a good argument for quite a few factions for, for a butler. Yeah. You'd almost be a guardian, right? protecting his his master (laughs) yeah yeah he could be and fitting in that that realm in guardians you know like carolyn fern she's she's a guardian as well but doesn't necessarily fit the model of i'm going to kill everything but it's like i'm going to support everyone i think that's one of the great strengths of this game that the factions are are big enough i think that you can have a a wide range of roles within them uh, and then I think there's some easy ones to pick out for Seeker as well. Kate Winthrop, the mm-hmm. scientist, felt like a very obvious Seeker. I thought Monterey Jack probably felt like a Seeker as well, although maybe that's a little bit on the nose in terms of, mm. wow, archaeologist, he's a scholar, he's an explorer. Yeah, Miskatonic archaeology funding is a Seeker card. <laughs> Might fit him nicely, yeah. And maybe also... Daryl Simmons, the photographer, we, you know, your favourite card, True Understanding, Yes, is a photographer. <laughs> but I'd, I'd also wondered as well, because his, his story is about him taking pictures of, of scary stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I could almost see a mystic argument for Daryl, maybe? Mm. What do you Tell think? Tell me more. As in just that he's sort of intrigued by the occult. Well, his story is about him taking, visiting, uh, this is from the Investigators of Arkham book. His mm-hmm. story is about him investigating like an abandoned house, isn't it? And he takes a picture with some spooky eyes, from what I remember. Yeah. So is there a, an aspect, is he attuned into the into the mystic, maybe? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could be, it could be. The other thing we should add at this point, if we go a bit more mechanical, and particularly around deck building is that we've seen a lot of the com- the common combinations now. So there's a lot more scope for the weird and wonderful deck building restrictions, whether that's gating an investigator to a certain trait or doing something like Carolyn or Finn's deck building where you have access to multiple classes but a limited number. So, yeah, that's the other thing that's kind of <laughs> challenging about it, isn't it? That actually fitting investigators to... The standard templates could be quite hard. I've seen a lot of people suggest that Daryl could be our high intellect survivor. Yeah, yeah, just I can as see another it. option. So maybe survivor off class seeker. So like an inverse min. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah because yeah. there's there's plenty of investigative cards in survivor. A lot of them play off failure, but you know something like fortuitous discovery. There's not really, I suppose, Patrice or Min are maybe good homes for it. But there's not really an investigator that shouts out, yeah, this this really works. And I think the highest intellect survivor we have is Wendy with three, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Can't think of any higher. Most of them are three or two, which is 
sort of fascinating, isn't it? For how I mean, it it works fine for solo because they have lots of ways of getting clues that don't care about their intellect. Uh, and then uh, you could pick out a couple for Rogue as well. I think Bob Jenkins, the salesman, mm. probably fits in Rogue, as does Michael McGlenn, another the high gangster. high combat Rogue. Yeah, yeah. I think if Michael McGlenn can't take the Chicago typewriter, something's going wrong, isn't it? We're going to write into you know, or at least a you know a Thompson or something like that. Yeah. And then Agatha Crane seems to be one of the obvious, or maybe the only obvious, mystic choice. Yes, yeah. As She's a, interested in, in the occult. Yeah. Well, we, we've got a list. We're sharing a list here. So I've filled in some some of the, the ones we've just mentioned there. Who does that mm-hmm. leave us with, Frank? So that leaves us Carson, Charlie, Daniela, George Barnaby, the lawyer, yeah. Lily Chen, Vincent Lee, the doctor. So... Well, we haven't talked about Guardian either, have we? Not really, no, yeah. Vincent Lee shouted out Guardian to me as a doctor. Because of the amount of healing in Guardian, is that? Yes. Well, I mean, emergency aid is a... (laughs) Yeah, first aid. Sorry, first aid and... Yeah, emergency aid. No, emergency aid as well, yeah. No, I was adding another, yeah. Yeah, and uh, first aid seems like the obvious faction for a healing character. In some of the other Arkham Files games... Vincent Lee has essentially been the, not the inverse of Carolyn, but does to health what Carolyn does to sanity. Interesting. How would you feel about an investigator coming out like Vincent Lee that is almost essentially the same as Carolyn? I feel, he- I feel like healing. Maxine wouldn't do that. Yes. Uh, interesting question. I guess it's, it's a case of uh, finding a different niche, right? We've got quite a few investigators who can use horror uh, or self-inflict horror for various reasons. I mean, Agnes mm-hmm. springs to mind, really. <laughs> yeah. And then we also have Mark, who can self-inflict damage for, for personal gain. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think it's probably... I, I don't want to design a card live on air, Frank, but I think you could come up with someone who plays with healing in an interesting way mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to make it worthwhile. I think it's unlikely that we would get when you heal a damage, the the healed in uh, the healed investigator gains a resource. You know the sort of Carolyn, but for damage, that seems too simple. Yeah. What works really nicely for Carolyn is there's an explicit incentive around do this thing that your investigator is meant to do, heal horror. Yeah. And obviously, you'd want an incentive for Vincent Lee around damage, but working out what that incentive should be is is quite an interesting one. Do you think he should be a guardian, though? It feels like the card pool fits best there. I mean, but he could also be something completely different and then have... Cards that heal damage. Like Carolyn, cards that heal damage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that opens him up to a sort of whole host of weird... You know, he could take restorative concoction that heals damage if he wanted to. And there's the weird one that Carolyn can take cheap death. Because that heals oh, yes. two damage yeah. and two horror, you know. Vincent Lee could do that as well. Very strange situation. Yeah, the, the tangent I wanted to go on there actually was a Gloomhaven tangent, which we've not mentioned on the cast for a while. Yep. But often when I talk with my Gloomhaven group about the value of healing, often our discussions come down to: Wouldn't you rather just kill the enemy in front of you than spend one of your very precious actions healing back up? And Obviously, there are occasions when you would want to heal, you know, between rooms, healing is good. If it means you're going to start losing cards to stay alive, healing is a lot better. Clearing poison and wound, healing is good as well. But generally speaking, you know, we'd always go for a more efficient way of killing enemies than we would go for a healing option, which we've talked about in Arkham as well, you know, the value of healing versus soak and all of that kind of thing. And then... All it takes is for a, an unlockable character in Gloomhaven that can do something with their health pool, and suddenly we reassess all of those healing cards and it throws it into a new light. And I think that's where Vincent Lee could do something really interesting in this game. I'm not quite sure what yet, but yeah, imagine if he gave someone a stat boost if he's just healed them a damage or something like that. Oh, that's yeah, they're feeling, yeah, feeling like inspired for the rest of the turn or something along those lines. Or help them ready cards or something like that. You are ready cards or, yeah. I was even, you know, even the simplest one is, you know, when you heal a damage, they draw a card. But it's, that's almost, again, too much like mirroring Carolyn. 
yeah, the scope there. I think I think where I like Carolyn the most is she makes all of the party interact with the encounter deck differently. Because mm-hmm. when you draw that rotting remains, the Carolyn player might be saying, "Don't worry about it. Tank it. Like as long as it's not going to knock you out of the scenario, I'll heal you back up and you'll profit from it." Yeah. And you'd want you'd want Vincent to do a similar thing, or may, maybe. If characters haven't taken damage, they get a bonus. Maybe his goal is really do no harm and really about if everyone's healthy, something is happening well. So it's not about healing. It's not about repairing damage. It's about preventing. Maybe, I don't know. Anyway, I'm going off on or, one or he's Or he gets a stat boost if no one else has taken any damage. If no one has taken damage, yeah. yeah. It's, his job, yeah. it's his job done. Yeah. <laughs> Sense of fulfillment. What's his, uh, here's a question. What's his ability on... Well, either is he in Eldritch Horror? He's definitely in Arkham Horror Second Edition. Yeah, in Eldritch, he's got even health and sanity stat lines. He does have a bone saw in his art. You or another investigator on your space may discard an injury in Ildis Condition and or perform a rest. So he allows you to heal more and also get rid of conditions. And when you or another investigator rest, they recover an additional health. So he's just topping up health. So in second edition, his ability is Dr. Lee may restore one stamina to himself or another character in his location in the upkeep. Oh, so he's just like passively healing characters. Yeah. And then his story is if uh, Vincent discards five clue tokens in a street area during the upkeep phase, play the doctor is in and lets him move more <laughs> and heal heal more as well. Mm. Oh, but if he if he has three or more monster trophies placed, what have I done in play? <laughs> <laughs> oh, because he's killed multiple things. Yeah. yeah. Oh, interesting. So there is like a do no harm. Exactly, yeah. It's literally the name of the story, do no harm. Yeah. And worth noting as well that his he's not got very specialised stats. He's got pretty pretty vague collection of stats. So the team role for Eldritch, it says... He can provide great support to combat-oriented characters who have more sanity than health, and he's not specialised to any particular role. And I note that he has Lore of One, which roughly translates into spellcasting ability, which makes me think that he's not going to have mystic access in any way. Yeah. Just start with spells in 2nd edition, though. But then again, (laughs) anyone could use spells in 2nd edition. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. That's been an interesting diversion. Yeah, it has, yeah. Who else from that list do you think might fit a Guardian archetype? I think the other possibility is Lily Chen. Yeah, I had considered that. Lily's an odd one, right? Yeah, she is. i tell you who, who I sort of thought might fit the Guardian was um, the lawyer. If he's a mm, George Barnaby, yes. Dedicated to defending folks. Yeah. I, I'm fascinated by George Barnaby because he's another white bearded character yeah, he is. sort of older gentleman <laughs> Add to the I'm, pool. <laughs> I'm very fond fond of them you know they get the sort of five health nine sanity really uneven <laughs> um, health and sanity pools but his ability in eldritch is about removing people's debts and obviously there's nothing sort of equivalent to that in arkham really right which i think is really really interesting then because there's then you know what how do you add a lawyer's abilities into this game. He plays he plays plays well with skids but no one else. Yeah, exactly. He can remove hospital debts but nothing else. I wondered he's a vague one for me because I for some reason I think of him as a seeker. I think it's the sort of the seeker you have these professional roles like researcher, academic, they have higher education. There's kind of something in there for me about the law. But I think you're right, because also law and order is pretty firmly in the guardian pool as well isn't it yeah yeah what do you see him doing i don't know just uh, uh, i don't even know whether he's i, I know very little about him law wise mm. as a lawyer george had a long career holding those who deal in human suffering accountable to the law recently george retired and bought a boat to travel the world with his beloved wife maria but everything changed one morning in bombay george left the boat to get breakfast on his way back He passed Westerners dressed in black suits, all wearing silver rings that bore the image of a skull. Inside the boat, he found Maria's body surrounded by occult symbols. His sole reason for living now is the pursuit of justice for Maria. That's pretty good. Yeah. 
Yeah, I can see that being a seeker then, if he's if he's like searching for justice kind of thing. Yes, he, he has high influence in Eldritch, which is all about acquiring things. Yeah. So, I mean, the art is amazing. It's this guy with a white beard smoking a pipe, reading a book on his boat. It's just he should have been in Innsmouth. He could have he could have been chugging around <laughs> Devil Reef on his boat. Uh, and Charlie Kane is another one as well. Mm. Now Charlie's always jumped out to me for some reason as a rogue, and I don't know why. Because <laughs> he's he's meant to be like he's like an honest politician, right? Yeah, which doesn't really honest fit fish, yeah. the, the 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 kind of the stereotype of the rogue. There's just something about the kind of quick talking archetype. I think. What do you think? Well, funnily enough, Charlie Kane is probably the investigator I've seen discussed the most who hasn't yet made it into the game. Yeah. I've seen really good arguments for saying that he should be neutral. Okay, yeah, yeah, I can see it. Access to lots of different things, maybe access to allies across the whole pool because he's a smooth talker who can get anyone to sort of join his cause. I've seen a really good argument to say that he should be a seeker. Then also, yeah, I feel like there's maybe the rogue thing in there as well. I think particularly like the idea of sort of high roller, well-connected, money talks, you know, using his wealth and influence to to affect change. Like, I think all of that fits really nicely. But then also there's this idea of him in a position of power in society, trying to help others, which makes me think guardian vaguely. So... All of that is to say, I really don't know. Yeah, and yeah. he's a really tricky one to to pin down. I'm not sure I'd want him to be another neutral investigator, but maybe that's because how I've struggled with Lola Hayes. I think it's something you've said before on the cast. If you have a flat stat line and can kind of go anywhere with your deck building, sometimes it can be quite challenging. You feel like you don't have a hook yeah. to hang on. You know, if he does have access to pretty much every card and, you know, can do most anything. I'm not sure I'm that intrigued by that open a design space. You know, creativity comes when you impose limitations, doesn't it? Or it feels like it does in this game. He's an odd duck. He is, yeah. Well, I mean, we've we've sort of boiled the list down to a handful of odd ducks then, right? (laughs) Yeah. We've got... Carson Sinclair, Charlie Kane, George Barnaby and Lily Chen, who we don't think neatly fit any of the archetypes. Mm. So hang on, you don't think Lily is a guardian? Oh, yeah. We didn't didn't really talk about Lily that much. Yeah, she could certainly be a guardian. I mean, we've got, effectively, we've got a martial artist in in Nate, haven't we? (laughs) In Nathaniel, yeah. And funnily enough, I think the best suggestions I've seen for Lily Chen is the design we saw with Nathaniel Cho. You know, it's that idea of doing damage not from weapons, but in some other way. He just sums that up really nicely. I don't know where they go with <laughs> with Lily as a result. Unless, I mean, there's some some cards in Survivor about hitting. You've got yeah. Brute Force, you've got Stunning Blow, Improvised Weapon. There's... Oops. The, the, <laughs> the way her she works in 2nd edition, I remember, is not necessarily to do with fighting. It's mm-hmm. like a, a kind of an inner focus thing. I think they <laughs> she might get a bit of work done in terms of cultural sensitivity, Lily Chen, <laughs> when she comes out. Because mm. the ability is called Yin, yeah, yin and Yang um, in second edition. Great, yeah. But she can uh, like change her health and her, uh, her sanity. Mm-hmm. She can flip them around. She can do the same in Eldritch as well. Yeah. She can spend spend damage in horror to heal damage in horror. And the other thing she does in Eldritch, which sounds similar, is that when she improves a skill, she gets to immediately improve it again. Yeah. So there's this sort of self-improvement thing to her. And she's quite fascinating as a character in that way because you can run round and certainly in the base game of Eldritch, you could only ever improve a stat twice. So... She runs around and improves each of the five stats once and ends up double improving them all. And then she's got this incredible stat pool and can do anything. Yeah. Feels a bit like a cross between Guardian and Survivor, that, doesn't it? Mm. Or like It's almost maybe, the Dark Horse thing, isn't it? Yeah. Or, or maybe almost a Mystic. Maybe almost Mystic and Survivor. 
there's something kind of survivorish about that inner focus and and mm. improving mm. your stats like that. I mean, Calvin's a bit like that, right? Yeah, Calvin's a bit like that. And I was thinking when you said about Survivor, of also about innate, the good innate cards. You know, Silas is a bit like that. He might not have much down, but he still can turn his hand to anything. Yeah. So you've been, as we've been talking, slowly adding potential factions to some of these names. Is the next step that you're going to group some of these into fives for us? Well, is this <laughs> I, I, I don't want to be so bold as to do that. I mean, when mm. they've they've put the investigators... Uh, against cycles there's not necessarily been a very strong thematic connection mm-hmm. aside yeah. from i mean we had min and lola in carcosa yeah which which worked um and we had ursula in the forgotten age and and mm-hmm. as you said uh, mateo um and leo yeah but i, yeah, I we had silas and insmith silas and insmith yeah Sil- i think there's maybe been yeah. i would say one or two per cycle that have some kind of thematic link to that cycle. Although, yeah. Dunwich, I don't know whether that's necessarily the case, right? Dunwich is probably so the most generic Rex, of the cycles. Jenny, Jim, oh, we had, Ashcan. We had yeah. Luke, of course, in Dream Eaters. Luke in Dream Eaters, yeah. I, th- I think you're correct when you say there's normally one or two. Yeah. It's not, it's not always the whole five. And I think we even asked Maxine about this after Circle Undone because there was Preston and Diana who definitely you have the Silver Twilight Lodge connection. Yes. But then there was also like Marie, Joe Diamond, Carolyn. You know, one of the things we're pretty sure was because we were getting a fighty seeker, we got a non-fighty guardian. And that's nothing to do with Circle Undone. That's just mechanically they fit together. Yeah. And actually looking at the list, I think Mystic is still the one that's really hard to, to pin down. So as I said said before, you know, we've still got Gloria and Norman to come. Yes. Both upgrade into Mystic. So potentially they fill out the Mystic pool. It's going to be fascinating when we get the Norman box. Because what, what's the Mystic in it? Or who's going to use the upgraded secret cards in that cycle? <laughs> exactly. Both of those things are questions that I want answered. Yeah. Unless we have reverse, someone reverse who, who changes into Seeker and becomes a student uh, of knowledge... We're going to have this weird situation of, yeah. How wild would that box be if every investigator worked the same as Norman? It would be pretty fascinating, Just wouldn't it? Like yeah. impossible to get your head around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you're playing the Guardian, but you're ending up as the Rogue, and you're playing the Seeker, but you're ending up as the Mystic. You're, yeah, I mean, it could be. I, I tell you what's what's a fun archetype is say a survivor who upgrades into Guardian. Mm-hmm. So someone who who finds a uh, like a calling to protect people, so you can almost mm-hmm. imagine that being like a Hank, a Hank Samson, right? Yeah, someone inadvertently involved in the mythos, but then takes it upon themselves. Uh, it's a bit like um, actually Yorick's a bit like that, isn't he? And Tommy Muldoon, <laughs> yeah, who are the two Guardian survivors we have yeah, so far? Yeah, well, exactly, <laughs> that yeah. clearly fits really neatly, doesn't it? Yeah, but yeah, that, that that's kind of quite a compelling arc, or maybe like a, a rogue who becomes a Guardian and becomes selfless. I mean, that's the Michael McGlenn story, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Starts out just working for the mob and realises that actually the bigger things to fight with. That would mean he couldn't take uh, Chicago typewriter, though. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. Damn it, Michael McGlenn. <laughs> no. <laughs> I guess, I suppose if he has a named Chicago typewriter that's his signature. Right. That Lucy. would cover things, you know. Betty or something yeah. like that. <laughs> Betty, I said Betty. That's so close to Becky. I know, I know. I was so, yeah. that. <laughs> do we want to do some speculation on cycles then? Yes, we do, and we should because we, we've gone on a little while here. Yes. Of course, listener, you might have really strong ideas about how you think these investigators are going to work or how they divide up. Write in and let us know. We love hearing that kind of thing, and the speculation's part of what's fun about the game. But yeah, we're going to move on to do some campaign speculation. And just to warn you, we are going to refer to the designer notes at the end of the Innsmouth Conspiracy campaign. So at the end of campaigns, Maxine normally includes some design notes, and they might include a coded reference to what the next cycle is. At the time of recording, we don't know what the next cycle is. It might be that between recording this and publishing it it comes out but anyway we're going to refer to those notes so we're not going to spoil anything about Innsmouth but we are going to refer to those notes so if you'd rather wait and read them yourself when you've played into the maelstrom this is probably the point to pause and come back to this episode but otherwise yeah 
you have been warned. Do I need to say anything else about that, or is that no? Let, let, let's steam ahead. I mean, there's no story spoilers in terms of no. the rest of that cycle. It's just the the uh, the designer's notes, mm-hmm. which some people like to have as a, as a nice treat once they finish the cycle. Um, Indeed. Should we start off with the office then, Frank? What does it say in the the designer notes at the end of this cycle? So right at the end it says, I hope you enjoyed our memory-hopping trek through the mysteries of Innsmouth. The town really gave you a cold welcome, didn't it? Although, admittedly, not as cold a welcome as our next campaign might. So that hints quite strongly that we're going to be looking at the Antarctic, right? Mm -hmm. Which is a common addition to the, the, the Arkham Files games. Yeah, I think you've jumped a step, which is okay. that it says it's cold. Yes. So <laughs> the next setting would be cold, and the most common cold setting we know of is the Antarctic. I don't but feel it's like that the... was that big a step to skip. Well, the reason I, I'm saying it's a bit, bit of a big step to skip is that also in Eldritch, there's stuff to do with the North Pole and, and oh, Ithaca oh, okay. and, and kind of Native American slash Eldritch monstrosities. Oh, so, and I think actually, when and I could be getting this wrong, the Eldritch expansion that included the Antarctic sideboard also included Ithaca, who's another cold old one. A cold one. <laughs> exactly, cold, cold, great old one. Yeah. So yeah, that's just. I just want to add that there. So before the listener writes in, Peter saying, "How dare you forget about the North Pole." That, that's worth there. But I'm also with you that it seems like the Antarctic is most most likely. I'd probably put it at 80% to 20% North Pole. Yes, yeah. we've certainly been surprised in the past by what cycles and what the theme of cycles are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's not take anything as, as red at all. What I did just briefly, uh, I did uh, a list of the second edition expansions and the third mm-hmm. edition expansions and I've got open a list of the Elder Charter expansions, which may, okay. I don't know, might give us some clues. Yeah. So for second edition, we had four like big box expansions, which all had horror in the name. So we had Miskatonic Horror, Innsmouth Horror, Kingsport Horror, and Dunwich Horror, mm. which are probably all fairly self-explanatory. We also had several smaller expansions, I think four, four, four smaller expansions, Curse of the Dark Pharaoh, Lurker at the Threshold, The Black Goat of the Woods, and The King in Yellow. Mm. Notable there, I guess, is The Black Goat of the Woods, which is the connected to... Well, The Black Goat of the Woods is Shub Niggurath, right? Yeah. So, I mean, interesting. Um, I feel like that might tie into some of the same themes. It's like rituals in forests and stuff. <laughs> yeah, Feels like yeah. it ties into some of the same themes as Circle Undone. Yes, and Circle and Dunn even used the Agents of Shub encounter set in Witching Hour, didn't it? It did, yeah. To fight off. Goats Born in the Woods. Yeah. But we all thought that was going to be the, the Great Old One, right? When we saw... Yeah. And then in 3rd edition, we've got Secrets of the Order, Under Dark Waves, and Dead of Night. So, forgive me if I'm wrong here, I think Secrets of the Order is an expansion focusing on the Silver Twilight Lodge. Under Dark Waves is mm-hmm. like the Innsmouth-focused expansion. Yeah, and Dead of Night is the uh, crime syndicate focused expansion. Yes, yeah, I think Secrets of the Order. I'm not. Is that even out yet? No, I, I, I'm no, not I don't, sure it no, is. I don't think it's out yet. I just there is it. a Silver Twilight scenario in the core box of Arkham Third. Yes, so I'm not sure if Secrets of the Order is that as well. Isn't that the one they said that it comes with ghosts? Uh, maybe so. It, Isn't that the <laughs> the haunted? It's full of ghosts. Full of, yeah. Yes, I think it is. It's it, this product is full of ghosts. It adds um, it adds French Hill. Okay, I see. Ah, okay. Well, that is very Silver Twilight. Yeah, isn't it? I, I mean, it could, and it's called Secrets of the Order, Frank. So yeah, that's also Silver Twilight. Yeah. Maybe the secret is there's no Silver Twilight. Hmm. Interesting secret. Who knows? And then shall I rattle through the the Eldritch Horror expansions? Yeah, go on. So we've got, it looks like, again, there's four big and four small. Okay. So we've got Mountains of Madness, which Antarctica. is the Antarctica expansion, under the pyramids. Egypt. Oh, really? Egypt. Interesting. The Dreamlands. <laughs> and then the mask, uh, Masks of Nyarlathotep. So I don't know what that one covers aside from Nyarlathotep. Don't know. It's sort of 
globe trotting was my memory of it. But okay, I mean the whole game yeah. is fairly globe trotting. Globe trotting, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then the smaller ones, we've got Forsaken Law. That one is just like a booster, so that you get more of everything. Right. And it adds Yig. Yeah, it's got a snake on the front cover. Uh, Strange Remnants. It looks like a picture of the Easter Island heads. Yeah, I was going to say it adds like ancient locations and things like that that you have to sort out. Yeah. I think it has Syzygy Syzygy as one of the old ones, which is fascinating. The idea of just an alignment of the planets is going to destroy the Earth rather than... uh, Signs of Carcosa. Hmm, I don't know what that could be. Who knows? And then Cities in Ruin. Oh yeah, and that that includes... Is that like the disasters? Yeah, exactly. And things like Chthonians bursting out of the ground and... <laughs> Classic Chthonian. Yeah. Mad lads. I think that's... I think it's Shudmel is the great old one. Right. It basically wants to burrow through the earth and destroy it that way, I think. So of all of that, what's jumped out to me is gangsters, king sport... Maybe Shab Shab Nagurath. Yes. Well, actually, Gangsters, now I've read it, Gangsters seems to be the one. We've we've had them hinted at in quite a few cycles, right? But Mm -hmm. they're really Mm -hmm. quite a key part of the mythos. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've had some some definite, like, characters crop up who've been, like, uh, Naomi in um, Dunwich Horror, Mm -hmm. O'Banion's Gang. Yeah, and in Dunwich we did, you know, while we're still in Arkham, we did do going to the Clover Club. And if you read much of the Arkham fiction, a lot of it has characters at some point go to the Clover Club or the TikTok Club. And, you know, uh, Jenny, she steals her guns from the, the TikTok Club. That's how she gets her twin 45s. She steals them off a patron there. So they seem to be a pretty common setting, normally early in the novels or novellas, as a place to go that's sort of interesting and Mm -hmm. there could be, you know, there's that whiff of illegality and they're having a a cheeky time and then something dreadful happens or, you know, then it goes into the more cosmic horror element. A cheeky time. (laughs) A cheeky time, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just trying to give it that sort of little air of, I don't know what it what it's meant to be Cheek. yeah. yeah well I mean and air of cheekiness and and very obviously you could pick out Michael McGlenn as being the investigator connected to the theme of that cycle yeah yeah which, which, which and is I think quite neat there's another gang the Sheldon gang and in I was going to say in Gangs of New York what's the what's the Arkham Third Dead of Night in yeah. Dead of Night there's definitely a scenario that is about the gangs warring against each other okay right and we've just seen the introduction of the keyword warring in a standalone product at the end of last year. So potentially, you know, we could have a campaign that does feature multiple colours in the encounter deck and us being caught in the middle of a fight between rival gangs. That could be really good fun. And and it's an obvious hook for you to side with one guy. I mean, similar to the circle undone, right? Mm-hmm. You can side with one gang or the other. Yeah. And yeah. maybe there's a sinister force behind the motivation of both gangs. Yeah, absolutely. And I th- I think the impression I had is that the O'Banions are running liquor, Tommy guns, kind of toughs. And the Sheldons are a bit more, we'll massacre you. We're a bit evil. Maybe we have magic on our side as well. Right. By, like dabbling with the occult. The bad criminals. <laughs> the bad criminals, yeah. I mean, I think they're both... Both pretty bad. I could I could be wrong. I think it's but but you've got room there, haven't you? For that they could both be involved in pretty nefarious schemes, but one could be about bringing about evil creatures, and the other could be about you know controlling Arkham, something like that. Yeah. I wonder if there's enough there for an eight part campaign, and that leads me to another thought I had, which is what sort of scenarios do you play if you're playing an Antarctic campaign? Again, a good question, Frank. Thank you. The The story, Mountains of Madness, doesn't directly feature an old one, if I remember right. Mm. It's about the discovery yeah. of the City of the Elder Things, yeah. which is preserved in the Antarctic, if I remember right. And they, they, they find an ac- access to it underground. But yeah, I mean, you know, you could you could 
pitch that question at the, the Forgotten Age, couldn't you? How do you mm. make jungle, jungle exploration last eight scenarios? And, well, we go back and forth, we jump around in time. Mm-hmm. I think there's there's plenty of scope for stuff like that in Arkham, like prepare before you go. It'd be interesting to see whether there's, like, exposure mechanics. Getting cold, yeah, yeah. And if we're, if we're pulling influence from films like The Thing, of which I'm a, I'm a well-known fan, you've maybe got the idea of, like, paranoia and isolation which might come into play as well. Get more hidden cards yeah. in there. Yeah, the game is big enough now that there's quite a few different things that they could draw upon. I was thinking as well, supplies, you know, that that yeah. could be see a revisit. Is it fair to say that supplies is one of the least popular mechanics so far? Yeah, uh, yeah people, people reacted in a certain way to it. I, there might be a way to tweak that so folks find it a bit more engaging. It's a tricky one, isn't it? Because if you if you tie supply points directly to success in a scenario, you potentially set up that domino effect of you do badly in a scenario, so you can't buy supplies. So that means the next scenario goes badly because you don't have the supplies you need, which means, you know, you set up a horrid, horrid chain of events. So it's a sort of tricky one. Yeah. What about if we had, you know, as you said, we could even have starting in Arkham and hearing about this discovery and a race against other another interested party, maybe the Urbanian gang or another gang, and then you can have a scenario on the boat and your boat being hijacked or whatever it is, and then you reach the Antarctic. You could you could make the journey be fraught with a kind of competitive element about is this other rival party ahead of you or or behind? Have you pulled ahead of them? Maybe that would have an impact in, in a series of scenarios. Yeah. Yeah, that could work. I really like the idea of the city of the Elder Things, like an exploration of that. I think that could be really cool because it's a little bit like the temp- uh, Doom of Esdley temple style thing or or um, Depths of Yoth, but with a whole extra layer of like cold and frozen. <laughs> I think yeah. that could be fascinating. So yeah, that, that, that could be really cool. Fantastic. There's scope there. Yeah, there is, yeah. The other thing to think about that has been proven over the previous few cycles is that Maxine tries to do something different with each cycle. So tries to introduce contrast cycle to cycle. So after Carcosa, we had Forgotten Age. So you've got something that's all about uh, not trusting your reality and the weirdness of Carcosa. And then you're in the jungle and it's pretty grounded. But yeah, it's all about physical survival. And then from that, you go to the dark, very Arkham-based Circle Undone. So the freedom that Maxine gets after doing Innsmouth, which was all set in one location, means that we do have a lot of... I feel like we might do another globetrotting campaign as a result, because it just gives her so much more freedom to do, you know, a scenario in Argentina, a scenario in the Antarctic base, whatever she wants to do. Yeah, yeah, that... uh, Yeah, I can see that. And it's almost like with the past scenarios that they've built up a, a suite of tools they can pull on to give different flavors. Yeah. Like this, yeah. there's vehicles in there. There's, there's hidden cards. There's all this kind of stuff. Supplies, yeah, explore, explore supplies. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've even got the, you know, dream eaters twin narrative thing. So there is that possibility as well of doing two four part campaigns. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure. It works so well for Dream Eaters that they interlink. I'm not sure how people would take it if it was just a campaign that was just two four-parters. We've even seen speculation that they're, they're going to shake up the, the way cycles are put together as a whole. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know people have speculated about that, especially after we saw the starter decks. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, they've shed all of their competitive LCGs now. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. that... Maybe that format made a lot of sense for competitive games for whatever reason. A big box and then and then six following packs. Maybe that made sense if when you were distributing player cards across a number of factions. But maybe a different distribution works better for Arkham. Maybe that's something they're going to try and experiment with. Yeah, it's I mean, possible. T- Champions is split into rough cycles, but it's... It's it's not it doesn't follow the same. There's not like linked linked packs coming out, mm-hmm. and lots yeah, of people have yeah. expressed frustration with how difficult it is, 
um, to go back and flesh out older cycles. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. That's yeah. pure, pure speculation. You know me. I'd love to talk about card game yeah. distribution methods. <laughs> but it's a really good point because I nearly actually said at the start of this episode we were. You mentioned we're going to try and sneak this episode out before the next cycle is announced, and I did see online that Maxine basically has said because of some of the distribution issues, we might take a little bit of a break between cycles now. Right. And while that's an enforced break, there's also opportunity there. If they want to change things up a bit, the the pandemic and the global situation does buy FFG and the design team a little bit of time, that they're not on the treadmill of, we need to just do the next cycle, we need to do the next cycle, keep going, keep going. If they've somehow get, you know, a, a spare month to say, is this working as well as it can be? Maybe there's a chance, exactly as you say, to say, what if we were to push pause and, and try and do things differently? Yeah, yeah. It's possible. What do you think, listener? You can write in to us. We're on Drawn to the Flame podcast at gmail.com. Thank you to everyone who writes in. We're also on Facebook as Drawn to the Flame and Twitter as Drawn to the Flame. You can also become a patron of the cast. Talk about your uh, favourite forthcoming investigator that we haven't yet seen and how they would work. Thanks to all the patrons for that great discussion we had before this episode. And you can also talk about other things. Tell us how your campaign's going. So go to Patreon and look up Drawn to the Flame. And you can also buy Drawn to the Flame goodies on Design by Humans. Peter, how can people get in touch with you? I am United everywhere. That's U-N-I-T-L-E-D. I'm on uh, Twitter and the Discord and Reddit sometimes and uh, Steam and Instagram as either, well, United everywhere, the .United on Instagram. Uh, how about you, Frank? I'm FB, that's E-P-H underscore B-E-E on Twitter or F-E-B or Zooey Glass or Zozo around the place. Come say hi too. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Cautious investigators will hesitate to challenge the common belief that Chris H was killed by lightning, or by some profound nervous shock derived from an electrical discharge. It is true that the window he faced was unbroken, but nature has shown herself capable of many freakish performances. Is that from the beginning of the, what's it called, The Haunter in the Dark? That's right, yeah. I quite like that one, actually. It sort of sits yeah, at the idea. Just of, wait for the next episode we record. Yeah, yeah. He sort of sits looking out the window, doesn't he? They are inclined to take much of Ebb Crampley's diary at its face value and point significantly to certain facts, such as the undoubted genuineness of the old church record, the verified existence of the disliked and unorthodox Starry Wisdom sect prior to eighteen seventy-seven, the recorded disappearance of an inquisitive reporter named Egowitz Uriba Eshabaria in 1893, and, above all, the look of monstrous, transfiguring fear on the face of the young writer when he died. (laughs) ¶¶